It's so good to have you with us this weekend. I hope that your summers are off to a fantastic start despite all this warm weather. If you're a first-time guest or visitor with us this weekend, we are so glad that you're here joining us, and we hope that you're feeling just a little bit more connected to what we're all about here at Door Creek. Also, I need to give a special shout-out to all you dads out there. We hope that you feel honored, celebrated, and appreciated for everything that you do. So happy Father's Day, and thank you dads out there. That's right. But also, in that same light, we as a church know that Father's Day can be especially hard for many of you this time of year for a variety of different reasons. So, that you, so please know that you too are in our thoughts and prayers. Well, my name is Tyler Sotabeer, and I have the privilege of being one of the newer pastors here on staff at Door Creek. And my family and I, we are from the great state of Minnesota, or as I like to call it, the motherland of Minnesota. And I'm married to my beautiful wife, Sarah, and we've been married for eight amazing years. And together, we have a beautiful little girl named Zoe, who's six. And this is really hard to believe, but in about a month, our family of three will soon become a family of four. And as a family, we're super excited to be able to meet baby Soda Beer. And it's been great for my family to meet all of you, and I look forward to getting to know many more of you as the days and weeks to come. But before we begin, I just need to say something, but... I just need to say that I count it to be such a privilege to work with many of the teenagers that are tender church. So parents, thank you so much for allowing us to come alongside you and your teens as we try to partner and work together in order to encourage and help them grow in the relationship with Jesus Christ. This past week, we had our first ever Color War event in which nearly uh, 70 students attended. And so I really need to say thank you to your parents for trusting us enough, especially me, for allowing us to throw colored powder in their faces. It was a fantastic time, and a lot of community happened. Since January, we have been in our Storyline series, in which we have been making our way through the entirety of God's Word. And for the last few weeks, we've been camped out in the wisdom literature portion of God's Word, and we have been learning how to live rightly in an upside-down world. And this week, we continue on in the book of Psalms. This book is special and unique for a variety of different reasons. It's unique in the sense that it was written over a period of a thousand years by over 70 different authors. And it's very special to God's people because Jesus himself quoted and taught from this book more than any of the other books found in the Bible. Did you know that when Jesus was hanging and dying on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That he was actually quoting a song of praise by King David found in Psalm 21. Because this collection of prayers and songs was so important to Jesus, it should also play an important role in our lives as well. This book teaches us how we too are called by like our ultimate example in Christ to live a life of worship and service to God with all of our hearts, minds, and strength. Whether it's money, friends, success, food, and especially when it comes to watching TV or Netflix, we often, know, we often struggle with knowing when enough is enough. But if we're real honest with ourselves spiritually, we actually sometimes struggle and wonder whether or not God is enough. Is God enough when our health fails? Is God enough when a loved one in our family gets sick or dies? Is God enough when the money in our bank accounts or our pockets seems to disappear and run out? Is God enough when we fail miserably 
time and time again? Is God enough when a relationship in our life falls to pieces? And is God enough when the, others of the lives of others around us are succeeding, but we're barely struggling to get by? Chris Tomlin, in one of his famous songs, writes this, You are my supply, my breath of life, and still more awesome than I know. You are my reward, worth living for, and still more awesome than I know. All of you is more than enough for all of me. For every thirst and every need, you satisfy me with your love. And all I have in you is more than enough. These words are so powerful. But how do we come to a place like this where we truly know and believe that God is more than enough? How do we come to a place where you and I are able to find our true and our soul satisfaction in Jesus Christ? Fortunately for us, this answer lies in God's word. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 73. And while you're turning there, I just want to give you a brief glimpse behind the heart of this very song. It was written by a guy named Asaph, who is equivalent of a worship pastor or worship leader for King David. And Asaph is responsible for writing 14 other songs in this book. And Psalm 73 itself actually begins the third out of five sections that make up the Psalter. And I believe that the editors placed the song purposely in the heart in the middle of this book because its lyrics wrestle with one of the biggest questions of our faith. And that's, is God enough? Let's take a listen to what God has to say to us through the heart and the experiences of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous heart, hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know anything? Does the Most High even know? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply, until, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground and you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you'll despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. 
Those who are far from you will perish. You will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Would you please pray with me and for me? Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for every single person who is with us this weekend. And right now, Lord Jesus, we rely on the work and the power of your Holy Spirit to bring to life the words of this song. Holy Spirit, I just pray for everyone here, myself included, that your Holy Spirit will begin writing on the tablets of our heart the truths that are found in your word. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would teach us how we can ensure that you are more than enough. Amen. In light of Psalm 73, I believe that there are four things that you and I need to do in order to ensure that God is enough. Firstly, in order to ensure that God is enough, we need to stop focusing on those around us. Pay attention and listen again to verses one through five. Surely, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Did you catch what caused Asa's faith to become slippery and caused him to wonder whether or not God is enough? Look back at verses two and three. It says that he lost the very footing of his faith because he began to envy the lives of the wicked and his unbelieving neighbors around him, whose lives looked almost picture perfect. The Bible has a lot to say to us about envy. In Proverbs 14.30, it says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Proverbs 27.4 says, anger is cruel and wrath is like a flood, but envy is even more dangerous. And James 3.16 has this to say, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. Envy is basically the desire that you and I have when we get angry or resentful towards others, when we see them succeeding or being more happy in life than us. And as we see in this psalm, at one point in his walk with God, Asaph envied and desired to actually have the very life of those who didn't know his God. Have you ever felt this way before? Maybe you've read or heard stories about horrible people who somehow or some way or another seemingly make it to the top. Or let's make it a little bit more personal. Have you ever turned on the news or even scrolled through your Facebook and Instagram feed? I know I have. And I've and seen people you know who should be having miserable lives, but instead they're more successful, they're having more fun than you, and they look all around better than you. These are people who don't fear God and don't even care about him, but yet they always seem to be happy and having it made. Really what Asaph encounters in this psalm and what you and I do each and every day are happy pagans. We find these people at work. You might know them at school. They might live next door to us, and they might even be in our own families. People who are far from God, but are still seemingly more blessed and happy than we are. And if we're really honest with ourselves, like Asaph was here, this makes us mad, it makes us confused, 
it makes us downright uncomfortable. And this actually causes us at times to actually want their very lives. Have you ever seen a child fight with a parent or adult before because they feel like their peer or their sibling got more than them or something? They, something, they say something like, hey, that's not fair. I want what they have. Man, Sarah and I are in for it with child number two, let me tell you. But as children of God, when we see others being blessed more than we are and having easier lives than us, it's actually really easy for us to not make complaints like this to our Heavenly Father. Am I right? It's super hard to not be envious. But the reality is, is that envy is dangerous. And like Asaph, it can actually wreck the very footing of our belief and faith in God. Or as the author of Proverbs 14.30 says, it can actually rot us spiritually from the inside out. The solution to envy for us as Christians isn't complicated, but it is very difficult. The solution for ensuring that God is enough is that we need to focus on what we already have in Jesus Christ. You see, it's hard to be envious when we take a moment and think about and remember the spiritual darkness that you and I once knew before we knew God. It's hard to be envious when we remember that our sin literally cost Jesus everything when he died on the cross. Simply put, it's hard to be envious when we stop focusing on what others have and realize that in God, we have already been given more than enough. God becomes enough when we simply allow him to be. Amen. Secondly, in order for God to be enough, we must be willing to wrestle with our faith. Look over verses 13 through 16 and listen to a few of the phrases that describe how Asaph's heart wrestled with his God and his faith in him. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. All day long I have been afflicted. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. After coming face to face with the success of the wicked, we find Asa began to wrestle with his faith in God. He began to doubt and he asked himself whether or not worshiping and following his God was even worth it. In other words, he began questioning and doubting whether or not God was enough. Did you know that actually the Bible is full of wrestlers? No, I'm not talking about those men and women in bright spandex with alter egos, but it is filled with men and women who dared and were actually willing to wrestle with their faith in him. Consider Abraham, consider Jacob, consider David, consider Job, consider the apostle Paul, and even consider an ultimate example in Jesus Christ. He too wrestled with his father. Have you ever wrestled with your faith in God? I know I have. Um, several years ago, my, my wife Sarah and I, we got the happy news that we were pregnant with child number two. And as you can imagine, uh, we were so excited and we told our family and they were so excited for us and with us. But shortly after we did this, uh, we found out and it was noticeable that there was something very wrong with this pregnancy. And shortly after this, um, the baby died. And the days that followed for us were very dark emotionally, physically, and spiritually. There were days where I felt helpless because all I could see is my wife crying in front of me and there was nothing I could do about it. There was days and weeks where my wife and I really couldn't even talk about the pain we were experiencing. And unfortunately, there was days, weeks, and even months where all I could do is shake my fist at God in anger. You see, I was so angry at God because I felt like he had failed me. 
I felt like it wasn't fair that he was blessing couples with children who, number one, weren't even following closely to him, and number two, they didn't even seem that all excited or even to want more children. Maybe you've been in a place or situation like this, a place of anger, a place of confusion, and a place of doubt in a relationship with God. But here's the deal. Like Asaph, I've come to realize the beauty of wrestling with my faith. I have come to embrace the beauty of wrestling with our God. And I hope and pray that you can come to this place too. When God makes us wrestle with him and our trust in him, it's not because God is actually reluctant to bless us, even though it might feel this way. But it's because God has more blessings for us and things to teach us through this holy wrestling than without it. God, at times, has more blessings and things to teach us when we're willing to wrestle with him. Think back to a moment about the lessons of these men who were willing to learn as a result of wrestling with God. Jacob learned that the only blessing and acceptance that he truly needed was from his heavenly father. King David learned that true worship only comes from living a life of true repentance, purity, and humility. Job learned that God is worthy to be trusted despite the difficulties and uncertainties of life. And Paul learned that God's power and grace is sufficient for all things. All these examples found in scripture were of people who are not only willing to wrestle with their faith in God, but they're also exam examples of people who are committed to never letting go of their faith or their commitment to him, regardless of how tough life got. God will always meet us in our pain. God will always meet us in our fear. And God will always meet us in our uncertainty. But he will not always meet us in the way that we expect or desire him to. God often gives us his blessing through our wrestling. God often actually gives us his blessings through our wrestling. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 12, that our faith and trust in Jesus is a lot like a battle. And that because of this, we must be willing to fight the good fight of our faith. And that we must be willing to wrestle and embrace the salvation that we actually have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you wrestling today with your faith in God? Good. Be encouraged. Church, do not give up. Because God becomes enough when we're willing to wrestle with him in our faith. Thirdly, God becomes enough when we take the time to remember and reflect on our destiny. Take a listen to these verses beginning in verse 17. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed? completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. You know, I've always been very fond and interested at the, in the game of chess, but honestly, I'm horrible at it, and here's why. There's two very important characteristics that you need in order to be successful at the game of chess. The first is intelligence, and the second is patience. And right there, I'm automatically ruled out 
on both accounts. You know, I'm actually more of a checkers at Cracker Barrel type of guy, and even then, my six-year-old daughter beats me every time without cheating. But besides being intelligent and patient, another very key characteristic and element that you need to have to be successful at chess is that you need to be able to see several moves ahead. You need to be, see, be able to see beyond what's in front of you. For example, I recently heard this story about a Norwegian guy named Magnus Carlsen, who by the age of 13 became the youngest person ever to be called a grandmaster of chess. And by age 19, he became the youngest person ever to hold a number one ranking in the world in this particular game. Let me just give you one more example, if you aren't already impressed about how just uh, good Magnus is at chess. At one point, he played 10, yes, 10 games of chess blindfolded, and he won every single one of them. Isn't that incredible? Magnus actually kept track of all 320 pieces in his head, and he had to think through and anticipate every single move, not only that he was going to make, but also his opponent was going to make. In order to be successful at chess, you have to be able to think and see ahead. The same is true for you and I as Christians. In order to be successful and for God to be enough, we need to remember and keep our destiny always in the forefront of our minds. Did you notice that the entire tune of Asa's song here and the attitude of his heart began to change in these verses? Look back at verse 17. This is the most important line of this song. It says that life didn't make sense and that God was not enough for Asaph until he entered the sanctuary or presence of God. Why? Because it's here, in the very near presence of God, that he received a new perspective on all of his problems. Asaph didn't necessarily receive a solution for why the ungodly prosper and why the righteous seem to not, but he did learn to trust the God who does know and see all things, and he did learn to embrace not only the wicked's future destiny, but also his own. Aren't you grateful for the church? Aren't you grateful for his word? Aren't you grateful that through Jesus Christ, we have access to the very near presence of God? Because it's only here in the presence of God. Like Asaph, where we can receive a new perspective on all of life's problems. We might not always receive solution to these problems, but in this sanctuary, we will always be given a clearer picture of our future and the eternal destiny that awaits us. Let's take a moment and try to put our destiny that we have in Jesus Christ in perspective. Consider the following. For you and I as Christians, this world and all of its difficulties, as painful as they are and can be, this is the worst it's ever gonna get for us. For those of you who know Jesus Christ, this world is the worst it's ever gonna get for us. But for those who don't know Jesus, this world which will be the only one they'll ever know, this is the best it's ever going to get. Additionally, in this world, nice guys like Christians may finish last, but in the kingdom of God, his children always finish first. We as his children, despite how the odds are always seemingly stacked against us, and no matter the place that the world seems to give us, if we have placed our trust in Jesus, we will always place first in the kingdom of God. Church, this is the good news of the gospel. This is our hope. And in order for God to be enough, we simply need to remember 
our destiny. Lastly, in order for God to be enough, we need to embrace our portion. Listen to verses 25 and 26 again. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. These words are powerful, aren't they? They sound beautiful on paper and would make a great Christian bumper sticker. I think they would look great on a Christian poster with puppies because I think puppies make everything look better. But how should these words truly impact our hearts? How should they play out tangibly in our lives? Let's take a closer look to a couple of the words in these verses, shall we? The first one is the word flesh. At first glance, one might just assume this word literally means one's physical body. But the Hebrew word sha'ar that Asaph uses here means something entirely different, and it's so important. It implies a sense of a near relative, a close friend, or somebody that you would literally trust to have your own skin on. So when Asaph says that his flesh has failed him, he is saying that even those closest to him, the ones that he has trusted and relied upon the most, have failed to be enough and have been able to explain the whys and the difficulties of life. Like Asaph, we need to face the hard reality that there is no one on this earth, not our friends, our families, our spouses, or even ourselves, that won't sometime or another fail us. It's only God and in God alone who can be enough on the true strength of our hearts. The second word we need to understand here is the word portion. And in Hebrew, this word kalak means territory or separation. This is the same word, actually, that was used in Numbers and Deuteronomy to describe the portion or the territorial land that was given to the 11 tribes of Israel. The Levites, who were the priests of Israel, were actually not given any land as the last tribe. So as a result, Asaph and the rest of the Levites trusted and expected the other 11 tribes to provide 10% of all they had so that this people, these Levites who were separated to do the work of God, could survive. So when Asa says that God is his portion, he's basically saying that the ungodly may prosper materially and receive the abundance of what this world has to offer, but they will never receive the richness and the abundance of what God has to offer in this life, but especially in the next. This is the unique territory or plan that God has marked for you and I as his children. You know, we live in a world <laughs> where everything these days seems like it's under the influence of portion control or the risk of it. Whether it's watching TV, using social media, watching sports, going shopping, and even when it comes to eating, which is definitely unfortunate. We're often told that everything is good and fine, but only if it's done in moderation. But spiritually speaking, this is not the case and could be anything further from the truth. You see, when our lives are important to God, our lives become out of balance. When our lives are important to God, our life becomes out of balance. Jesus just doesn't want to just give us a portion of himself. He wants to be our only portion. Jesus just doesn't want to give us just a portion of, him, of himself. He wants to be our sole and only portion. Consider God's invitation to us in Isaiah 55, 1 through 2. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. 
come buy wine and milk without money and without cost? Why spend money on what is not bread? And why spend your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and then your soul will delight in the richest affair. This is his invitation to us. And in order for God to be enough, he needs to be our sole portion. As we close this morning, I want to take a moment and have each of us take the time to answer the following questions. What do I value? What do I value more than anything else in this world? To what or to whom do I turn to in order to satisfy the longings and yearnings of my heart and my soul? Is God enough? Is God simply enough? The truth of the gospel is this. Unless we value Christ above all, our lives will have no value or significance at all. Unless we value Christ above all, our lives will have no value or significance at all. Or as Paul says in Philippians 3, everything is a complete loss or failure outside of knowing Jesus personally. You are my supply, my breath of life, and still more awesome than I know. You are my reward, worth living for, and still more awesome than I know. All of you is more than enough for all of me. For every thirst and every need, you satisfy me with your love. And all I have in you is more than enough. We simply become satisfied in Jesus when we stop focusing on those around us, when we're willing to wrestle with our faith, when we remember our destiny, and when we embrace the true reality of our portion in Jesus Christ. It's only then will Jesus ever be enough. This is God's challenge to his people, but it's also his invitation. Would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for the experiences of Asaph. Lord Jesus, his experiences are a lot like ours. This world says that in order to have enough, we must pursue the things that this world has to offer. But as we know from the truth of the gospel, it's only you that makes sense out of life. It's only the freedom that we have in you that we can ever find enough. So Lord Jesus, I just pray, regardless where we're all at in a relationship with you, that your Holy Spirit would begin whispering to our hearts and our souls that you're enough. Lord Jesus, may we be people who have you in the forefront of our minds and our lives. And Lord Jesus, may we only go to you as our ultimate portion. Amen.